Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live in the Washington, D.C. area, Saturday mornings from 9 till 10 on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. Lots of things going on in technology. IRS is now going to make certain that you can file your taxes free online. They're revising that free tax program that's been around for a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're coming up with a new standard for connected homes. You know, this home hubs and everything. They're trying to get one standard to make life easier, easier for the consumer. Now, I also got a very important thing I want to talk about today. Why is it that the military tracks Santa each Christmas? That's a very good question because how you would that think that that's kind of a waste of money. But. Yeah, but what? how did it get started and why in the world do they do it? I'd a- like to know. AI is getting better at catching cancer. Google's got some great results there. And we're getting ready for some big cyber attack from Iran uh, as, a, as a retaliation move. And so we'll talk a bit about that. Mm -hmm. And we'll also talk about how cosmic rays cause damage to computer chips that can actually flip a bit and cause a huge problem in navigation and in voting machines. And this week we're going to feature the man who actually invented the battery. Now, we talked earlier the man who improved the lithium-ion battery, but the question is, who actually invented the battery? We're going to go through the life of... Alessandro Volta. Very he, good. He well invented done. the battery. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter Look in at your that. mailbox. Wow. New year, new him. Wow, very nice. We got an email from Susan in Alexandria. Good morning, Dr. Schertz. How about Tony Brooker, a contemporary and colleague of Alan Turing, perhaps foremost among the many contributors to computer science? He developed AutoCode, the first commercially available high level program. He would be a great suggestion for profiles in IT. Uh, Also, Happy New Year to you, Jim, Andrew, Kevin, and Mr. Big Voice. Why, thank you, Susan. Susan and Alexandria. Well, thanks for the suggestion, Susan. That's a good suggestion. You don't know how much Doc appreciates that because uh, it's getting tough to find new people. It is. I've I've done over 400 profiles in IT or maybe 450, and you know. You know, and today's, I guarantee, today's will really be a blast. Uh, uh, so make sure you stick around and listen to Profiles in IT today. We got an email from June in Burke. Dear Doc and Jim, my iPhone has died on me. The battery needs to be replaced. I need to get text messages at work, iMessages. Is there a way I can get the iMessages on my Windows 10 computer so I can at least communicate with people? This is critical. Help, June in Burke. Well, June... Apple really doesn't want to share their iMessage app with other companies, so your options are slim. There is an iOS emulator, iPadium. <laughs> and what? iPadium. It's an iOS emulator. So 
and and I was reading that 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 that, that includes iMessage. So iPadium did not really get great reviews, but I said, well, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. So I installed iPadium last night, and uh, it is a pretty dorky interface, and there is no iMessage on it. So boom, mm. it's gone. So they were wrong. Like I can see why the reviews were bad. So you're really your only option to get iMessage on your machine is to set up a virtual machine in your computer's uh, window, com- in your Windows c- computer operating system, set up a, vir- a VM, virtual machine, and then install the Mac operating system there so it, it actually looks like a Macintosh computer. And then once you've got the Mac operating system on there, you can, you can then activate iMessage. Now you're this is, I mean, it's complicated. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's really worth it. You, you know, you got two options for VM machines, virtual machines. You can have the Oracle Virtual Box Manager, Virtual Box, and you've also got the VM Workstation Player or VMware Player, and so you can pick either one of those. Uh, uh, the uh, and and they they you can get them for if you if you only need it for like a month or so you, the you know I think VMware comes with a free trial so you can give it a shot but you're going to have to have a copy of the Mac, Mac operating system that may cost you money if you don't if you don't have a Mac around there but you install that and you get iMessage now there's another option June that that you could have is that you could if you don't have to have iMessage you could use WhatsApp and you can there's a very easy WhatsApp Inter- web version of WhatsApp. Uh, you could use Viber, so you could get you could get the web program for some of these uh, uh, voice over IP uh, programs that also have messaging, and that that would work too. And they actually share the software, so you can install it on other machines. They're not so proprietary like Apple is with iMessage. We got an email from Scotty in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Dear Doc and Jim, I've got an iPhone 11. But I've never installed antivirus software. And, you know, I hear all kinds of bad stuff if you don't have antivirus software installed. Is it okay? Or should I do something? Scotty in Fort Lauderdale. Well, the short answer, Scotty, is no. You don't need to install antivirus software on your iPhone. That's because your iPhone operating system, iOS, forces apps running on the device to run in a way that isolates them from the operating system itself. They, they like run a little sandbox. So if, so if you basically corrupt that app, it can't get at the operating system because it's got it's in a completely different portion of RAM, no shared RAM, and it can't get at the operating system. It's, it's a very safe way to, uh, to run apps, and it makes the iPhone very secure. Now, it still could be possible to do it, but it's very, very difficult. And the risk of uh, of the iPhone catching a virus is so small that it doesn't make much sense to run an antivirus app on on one. However, if you decide to jailbreak your iPhone or iPad, love that term, jailbreak it, so that you can install unauthorized apps, the built-in protections that I just talked about are rendered ineffective. So if you jailbreak your iPhone, you in fact can easily get infected with the virus. So in that case, you probably want to run antivirus. But I would recommend just don't jailbreak the phone. We got an email from Drew in Alexandria. Dear Tech Talk, I love to surf the web with the Chrome browser. Now sometimes in my exuberance, I'll close a tab by mistake. And it's a tab I wanted to keep. And then I can't get the web page back again. Is there a way to undo closing the browser tab? I, I I don't. I mean, it's gone. I don't know if I don't know if that option exists, but it would certainly make life easier. Love the show, Drew and Alexandria. 
Well, Drew, you can reopen your browser tag. All you have to do is press three keys at the same time, Control, Shift, and T. Control, Shift, T. T stands for tab. Control, Shift, T. That combination will reopen the last tab that was closed. And if you press Control, Shift, T again, through three keys going down at the same time, you'll reopen the tab that was done before that, and you can keep going back in the tab. So that's a very, very convenient. By the way, this works on all major browsers, just not Chrome. Now, there are some more shortcuts that are pretty nice. Suppose you want to delete all the cookies that have been stored on your browser because you just don't like to share that stuff. You want privacy. All you have to do is hit Control-Shift-Delete, and that will delete the cookies that have been stored in the browser. You can hit the Control key plus the Plus key, Control-Plus, and you'll zoom in the page, or else you'll make the text bigger. You can hit Control plus the minus key, and you'll zoom out and you'll make the or make the text smaller. And if you hit Control plus F5, you will force your browser to load a fresh copy of the current page. You see, a lot of times web pages are stored in a cache uh, somewhere on the web, or maybe they're stored in cache right on your computer if you keep going back to the same web page, and it will pull the web page from cache rather than going to the actual actual web page itself to get the latest copy of it. And if you want to, and some pages that change quickly, you really want to get the latest copy. So if you hit control F5, you've got the latest copy. We got an email from Virginia in Fairfax. Virginia. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we got from Virginia in Fairfax, Virginia. Yes. Dear Tech Talk, I forgot my Wi-Fi password. My Windows 10 computer logs onto my computer automatically, but now I have a second computer and I need to connect to the router. Is there a way to discover the password that's stored in my first computer? That would really be convenient. Virginia in Fairfax, Virginia. Well, <laughs> well, Virginia, it, it is easy to, easy to forget a Wi-Fi password. Um, and uh, since all your devices log onto it automatically, you don't have to enter, enter it in each time. But luckily, with Windows, there's a way to recover that password so you can read it. So what you want to do is open up the... Uh, Open up the control panel from the drop-down menu, and you just you could search. You go go to the search box, put in control panel, come up. Then you want to click on network and internet, and then you want to click on network and sharing center, and then you want to click on view active circuits networks, and then click on a box called Wi-Fi status. Then you click on properties of that box, and then you select the security tab. And the security tab has the password there, but it's all stars. But there's a little checkbox there. And if you can put the checkbox that says show characters, there will be your password in all of its glory. So if that was a little quick for you, when I post the, uh, the, show, uh, the, the show transcript on Monday, you'll be able to read that and get right to it. Or you could just, just go there and play around with it and you'll, you'll find it. It's under the security tab under network properties and just... Uncheck and check the box so you can see what's there, and that's all there is to it. And so you you can easily recover your password from a computer that is remembering your password. We got an email from Alice in Alexandria, dear Doc and Jim. Help! Whoa, my taskbar is on the right side of the screen. <laughs> yeah, I hate when that happens. How do I move the taskbar to the bottom? I can hardly use my computer. <laughs> well. 
Alice, a lot it's of people. It's easier than you think. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize, but the task can, can be placed anywhere. It can be put on the and left, the right, or the, the one, top. She probably moved it by accident, right? That's probably. Because I've done it, but I'm like, how did I do that? I know. She's sitting there with her, uh, with her, uh, <laughs> With, with her monitor on its side so she can <laughs> <laughs> she's turned the monitor on its side so so she's got it on the bottom I, you know that that's but just, then everything else is sideways everything yeah that's just that's really not really a good uh, a good method to do it so no. it, it turns out you can just drag the um you can just drag that around so what you want to do first of all you you, you want to right you want to go to the taskbar itself wherever it's located right click on it in an area that's not used right and then you want to Make sure that lock the taskbar is unchecked. Otherwise, it won't move. So you want to uncheck lock the taskbar. Lock the taskbar. Thank you. Then what you want to do, find another place on the uh, the taskbar that's not used by an icon. Hold down the left key of your mouse and then just drag it where you want. You can just drag it from the right side down to the bottom and drag it anywhere. And then it'll, it will just move. You can just drag it down to, the, to another side. It's, it'll only be on four positions, up, down, r- left, right. And then once it's moved, then you want to right-click on it, and then you put lock the taskbar, and then you're guaranteed that you won't move it by accident. So that's all you have to do. Um, and we get a good idea to lock it once you put the, put it down there, Yeah, right? yeah. After you put it down there, lock it, and then you won't move you it by mistake. have to worry about it yep. Yeah, sometimes people just sort of get a little exuberant with their mouse, and they, they move the taskbar, and they don't know they don't know what they did. I've done it all the time. I was like, what did I do? We got an email from Eric in uh, Springfield. Dear Tech Talk, I've got a number of Ring devices in my house. i got a doorbell. I've got cameras all over the place. I'm worried because I've heard that many of these devices have been hacked and people can view the cameras remotely. What can I do to protect my family's privacy, Eric in Springfield? Well, Eric, this is a problem. And there have been a lot of, of Ring devices that actually have been hacked by by people looking around. Now, when I checked into it, Amazon said their central servers were not hacked. Most accounts were hacked because users used the same password everywhere. And so what happened was user, you know, so they just used a known password that you had been using somewhere else on the Ring device, and and they logged right in, or else it was a weak password. And so most of the hacking that's gotten to the Ring devices is because of poor password management on the part of the user. Mm. So if you fear that somebody may have uh, secured, you know, that your password may be compromised. You could change your password easily. Just you can just go to the, basically go to the Ring website, log in with your account. You can change the password. Now, I would recommend that you activate uh, two-factor authentication. So that way, even if they have your password, they can't log into the Ring device. So what you want to do, and what if you have two-factor authentication? What happens is that every time you log into the Ring account. It will send a text message to your phone, your mobile phone, and maybe it might be six digits. I'm not sure. Typically, they're six digits. And then you have to then take that six-digit code and put it back into the website, and it won't let you log in until you provide the correct six-digit code. And that means you've got two-factor authentication, the password plus the temporary six-digit code. That way, even if somebody has your password, they're not going to get into your account because they don't have your cell phone. 
So you can easily go to the Rings, Ring, uh, Ring, web, Ring uh, website and go to your account, and you go to a section called Extra Security. And then, you, and then what you want to do, you want to turn on the link that enables Extra Security, and then you will want to enable two-factor authentication. Now, once you put in your phone number for the two-factor authentication, they're going to send you a text message, and you have to put in the code to verify that, that you actually have the phone. And then once you do that, it's set up, and your Ring account should be secure. Perfect. Listen, we love your emails. We do. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Heard locally on 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2, and exclusively in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. Watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope device app to your device. I do this all the time your uh, device and follow us at WFED Tech Talk. Be right back. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Alessandro Volta. He's an Italian physicist who is best known as the inventor of the electric battery. And what else? And the discoverer of methane. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Little ex- little excess methane. How'd you go there? <laughs> wow, what a mess. Yeah. One of the biggest causes of global warning, that source of methane. It right is indeed, there. yes, of course. Now Volta Volta was born in Como, uh, Italy. On February 18th, 1745. And, uh, you know, this is up in... Let's reiterate, 1745. And this is Profiles in IT. 1745, the inventor of the battery. In in 1774, he became a professor of physics. That's why I like this guy. At the Royal School in Como. A year later, he improved on the electrophorus. It's a device that produces static electricity. 
He was like really focused on electricity back then. In the years between 1776, that's a famous year, and 1778, Volta studied the chemistry of gases. He um, he discovered methane after reading a paper by Benjamin Franklin on flammable air. <laughs> In 1776, he found methane at Lake Maggiore, and by 1778, he managed to isolate methane. See, so 1776 is very important to this country, but it's also when he found methane. I was going to say that year was a real blast, wasn't it? It was a real blast. Uh, he, He ignited the methane by an electric spark in a closed vessel. That doesn't seem like a good idea. No, it doesn't sound like a good idea. No, I hope it- <laughs> <laughs> In 1778, the measured voltage with the charge, and, he, and it was called Volta's Law of Capacitance. Mm. See, back then, voltage, of course, wasn't called voltage. It would be electropotential, but electropotential then was named after Volta. I was going to ask So now you we call it voltage. Volts, voltage and volts, right? Yeah, that was all named after him, but that was just electropotential back then. Uh, in 1779, he became a professor of experimental physics at the University of Pavia, in 1780, okay, this is the critical part of the story. Now mm-hmm. listen to this. <laughs> Luigi Galvani had shown that the legs of frogs hanging on iron or brass hooks would twitch when touched with the probe of a, some other type of metal. He thought this response was caused by animal electricity from within the frog. <laughs> okay, let me ask, let me stop you for a sidebar. Were the legs still attached to the frog, or were they? These were dead frog legs. I'm taking it. They were dead. I don't okay. know. I, they'll it will work attached or de- disattached. <laughs> but the thing is, but what he did, he he. But felt, the frogs were dead. Is yeah, the point? But he thought he thought there was still some sort of residual life in them because they could twitch whenever you would touch them with the probe mm-hmm. and he went around doing this on uh, doing this on dead bodies and, oh my and, and, and he God. would put two probes on it and he and he'd get a guy i could open oh, or, <laughs> or 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 and so and so they so he, people were thinking this is like an indication that there may still be a spirit there within the body no sorry so so anyway, they, and he, you know, he got a lot of notoriety, Luigi Galvani. But Alessandro Volta said, I do not think there is animal electricity. I think it's coming from the electrodes themselves. Mm-hmm. Now, Volta was impressed with Galvani's findings, but he thought he got the current because there were two different types of metal. So... So the two types of metal were, were an accident, it seems, Yeah, it right? was an accident. It was completely an accident. It was completely an accident. That's right. And so what, what uh, Alessandro Volta did, he took stacks of uh, silver and zinc. Those, so he chose two metals, silver and zinc, and they, he put silver and zinc discs, and then he put layers of cloth or paper soaked in salt water between them, and he stacked up these discs. So he made a, what they call a pile of these things, P-I-L-E, and, um, 
and then he could measure a volt electro potential from be, 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 from one end to the other and it was caused by the difference in the metals and it turned out that with the frog legs the frog legs was simply serving as the salt water the conductor between right. the electrodes the wire the wire yeah it was the it was the it was the solution that would allow charge to travel from one metal to the other because in in a battery the electron leaves one metal and goes to the other metal because one metal has has a different potential it it, it the metals are different and it takes more voltage to extract the charge from one metal than the other metal and the difference in the in the voltage that it takes to extract the charge is really the voltage that the battery will see. It's the difference between the two electrodes. So the at the anode, the electrode reacts with the electrolyte and produces electrons, which are going into the solution. These electrons accumulate at the other uh, at the other contact, which is called the anode. Uh, at the cathode, another chemical reaction occurs simultaneously that en enables the electrons to to escape to accept electrons. So the uh, and so uh, electrons leave the cathode and they go to the anode. Now each of these reactions has a particular standard potential, as they say, and the difference between the standard potential is the voltage produced by the battery, and then the salty water is just the electrolyte. The electrolyte can be a liquid, a gel, a solid substance, whatever allows the movement of charged ions. He described his findings to the Royal Society of London in 1800, and Neapolitan was very impressed, and he gave him a, a big award, and because of the battery, the volt, the electropotential as he was measuring, the volt is named after Volta. Interesting. Now, actual, there's actually evidence of batteries dating back to 150 B.C. in Mesopotamia, the Parthian culture used a device known as the Baghdad Battery. I think that's a wrestling move as <laughs> well, a, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> the Baghdad. It, it was made of copper and iron electrodes, which were stuck in vinegar or citric acid. This, these were basically used for religious ceremonies where they would use that voltage to do something. I, don't know what <laughs> I would love to know what you would use voltage for in a religious ceremony. I, I really have no Cause idea. Cause conversions, perhaps? It could be conversions. That's right. Oh, you know, okay, here you go. Just put your hands on this. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that, but but they, did, they didn't really view it as a big invention of a battery, but, but when they went back and did the research, it was the Baghdad battery, 150 BC. 150 I may BC. have to look up the Baghdad battery. That's right. Now, in 1809, Volta became an associate member of the Royal Institute of the Netherlands. In honor of his work, Volta was made a count by Napoleon Bonaparte in 1810. So now it's Count Alessandro Volta. Volta retired in 18, 1819 to his estate in Como, Italy. And his estate is now named Camnago Volta in his honor. He died March 5th, 1827, just after his 82nd birthday. Volta's remains are buried in the Camnago of Volta, where he lived. And hopefully, Luigi Galvani is not doing any testing on his remains. I hope they're just letting him remain rest in, in peace. Rest in peace, yes. Uh, interesting. So, you know, I guess, the, so where we've come from there is the experimentation between the different types of metals. Is that how we've that's been his, able to make batteries it. better? Make them better. Yeah, so they, so like the, the, the most recent improvement in the lithium-ion battery, that they, they do lithium cobalt oxide. 
So they added cobalt to the lithium, and that and that basically made it uh, increase the energy density. of. That's what the guy got the Nobel Prize for. So we're just changing basically the... The metals. Yeah. The, uh, the, yeah you're, you're, and the medium of storage, I guess, has probably changed. Because I would imagine these original batteries were really pretty big, right? right. Yeah. So the, so, the, so the cathode is lithium ion oxide, and then the anode is just carbon or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, so they're, they're, they're making better cathodes uh, in, these, in these batteries. And uh, the lithium ion batteries, you might have a gel or you, you, you might have a, a liquid, you know, to, to, to carry the ions. But, yeah, they're just trying to improve it a little bit, a little bit at a time. But it all goes back to Alessandro Volta when he realized that it was be the difference in the electropotential between the two metals. I wonder if it was what it was that finally got batteries into regular usage. Maybe it was the, the packaging, the, the, the portability of it possibly, and, and then how they were these things were actually packaged because – I'd love to see what some of these original batteries were housed in. It's probably glass, right? Don't you yeah, think? Yeah, probably glass. And they, they also were using a lot of sulfuric acid. Uh, so the um, it probably was driven by applications. You know, because back back in the day, I mean, people didn't have cell phones. We didn't, right. We, we didn't we didn't have electric motors. We didn't have starters. So there, I don't think they, there was really a big application for the battery. So it was late 1800s, 1900s when we first started having machines and things like that, right? Yeah, that, that, yeah. Interesting. So, so sort of the, the basic science came first, and then the broad, the wide-scale distribution of that was based on the applications. There you go. Interesting. Hope you were paying attention because uh, we're going to uh, administer a battery of exams coming up here. <laughs> And the winner will get free lunch or something like that. We're going to play the pop quiz coming up on uh, Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Heard on 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, 104.5 FM in Loudoun County. You can watch us do the program, download the Periscope app to your device, follow us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live 
From Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please be seated, please be seated. You know, they've been lined up around the building for two weeks waiting to get in for now, the show. Now, you, you just wait a little bit. You know, later in the show, we're going to be serving frog legs to everybody in the studio. It's, and, a, it's, uh, a, well, it's a special treat. And grab your bag with a Baghdad battery on the way out <laughs> the door, right. too, please. Now, this is not simply a, a radio show. This no. is a classroom of the airways. And yes, we like and today to, it's been more like fourth grade. That's, yeah, more like fourth grade, yes, indeed. <laughs> and we like to see whether... The class has been listening, and so we provide a pop quiz. If you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get two tickets to fine dining at one of our dining rooms, plus of Stratford University, plus you'll get an A-plus for today's show. Earlier in the show, I talked about Alessandro Volta. He's the physicist who invented the electric battery. What experiment by Luigi Galvani prompted him to invent the battery? If you know the answer to today's question... Put down your lighter, pick up your device, and give us a call. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're experimenting with methane in Canada, call us on the wildcard line. 877-936-9333. Anyone else anywhere else may call us on the international line. It's a blast. 877-936-39333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. I'd like to first of all compliment you on your mastery of the Italian uh, dialect yes. today. Very nicely done. Well, thank you so much. I'm thank here to you help. so much. Yes. Yeah, let's talk about the IRS now. They're That's reforming not. the no the free <laughs> file tax program. Now the IRS announced significant changes on uh, this week to deal with the tax prep software industry. Now companies are barred from hiding their free products from search engines such as Google. A years old prohibition on the I, that the in uh, the and the removal of a prohibition on the IRS that it cannot create its own online filing system. You see, this, this all goes back to nearly two decades ago. And this is something that uh, the tax vendors, like TurboTax, mm-hmm. fought for. The government was going to produce an interface for free online tax filing. And, in fact, that's done in many, many other countries. You just fill it in. It does all the calculations for you. And the tax industry that says, if, if you provide that to make taxes easy to fill out with online tools, you're going to ruin our business. So they are said, okay, we won't do that. And we promise not to compete with you and create an, an online interface. But you have to make a free tax filing software available to the general public. That was the deal 20 years ago. Well, it turns out, yeah, they did make the free software available, but they made it almost impossible to find so people who qualified for free tax software weren't finding it. They were paying for it. And these turbo, uh, TurboTax, was, uh, they, this was investigated by, by a nonprofit and um, ProPublica. And they particularly looked at the, at, at, at the TurboTax maker Intuit. 
And they found that TurboTax was misleading taxpayers who, who were eligible for free filing. And they even made it so you couldn't find the free filing page by Google. They put in code that blocked it from being picked up by the uh, by the by the by the engines that go around and, um, and 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 gather data. So it was not even in the search engines. And this really irritated the IRS. So they basically demanded that these companies make the free software easily available and, and visible on their website. And the IRS furthermore said, we're no longer going to prohibit ourselves from making competing software. So I think the day of free tax filing is coming near. Interesting. All right. We've got somebody who'd like to play our little okay. game. Our first contestant of the new year. Let's go to line number one. Oddly enough, and it's Ken calling us today from Laurel, Maryland. Ken, good morning. How are you, sir? Fine. Good. Dr. Schertz, please yes. ask the question. Earlier in the show, talked about Alessandro Volta, of course, best known as inventor of the electric battery. What experiment prompted him to invent the battery? He did experiment with animal electricity with frog's legs. There you go. Yes, That's correct. the correct answer. Excellent job there, Ken. Hang on a second. We're going to put you back on hold, send you back to Andrew Mitchell, who will take your information. And we will send your prize out to you, which is uh, tickets for two for fine dining at any of the Stratford University dining rooms in the Washington area. Is that not correct? Have we not? Have, we have not changed the prize issue this year. Have no, we? no, it's the same thing. Same prize. Okay, very good. It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on the uh, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Fifteen hundred AM, one hundred three five FM HD two, one hundred three nine FM HD two, one hundred four point five FM in Loudoun County. And you can watch us do the program. Download the Periscope app to your device and follow us at WFED. Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Now, this is the question that we have on plate today. Okay. Why does the military track Santa Claus? Oh, this is a great Christmas? question. Yes. NORAD. The North American Aerospace Defense Command is a joint operation between the U.S. and Canadian governments, and it's designed to monitor and protect the sovereign airspace of the two nations. They're afraid of, a, of an invasion from Russia coming, coming over, you know, 
coming coming uh, you know over where we've got a lot coming in from Alaska. Mm-hmm. So the precursor of NORAD was CONAD, the Continental Air Defense Command. Both they're both located by the way in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Now in December of 1955, a local store in Colorado Springs, actually it was a Sears store, they ran an ad. And in the ad, they put in a telephone hotline that purported to be a direct line to Santa Claus. And and they and the idea was they were going to have store people answer the calls and maybe get the parents to come and do a little shopping there at uh, Sears. You see, it was a good good marketing yeah. pitch. The only problem was there was a huge typo in the Sears ad, and it caused all the phone calls to be routed to the Conad switchboard, which is the the or the NORAD switchboard instead of the Sears Sears store staff. So, Colonel Harry Shoup, the commanding officer at the time of Conad instructed his staff to answer all the calls from hopeful children and and listen whatever they wanted for Christmas. And then on Christmas Eve, he called the local radio station and said, this is the commander of the Combat Alert Center, and we have an unidentified flying object. It looks like a sleigh. <laughs> <laughs> and for the rest of the evening, radio stations called every hour for update on Santa's current location as he completed his wild around-the-world toy delivery run. When Conad converted to NORAD, the tradition was passed on. Every year since then, NORAD has faithfully answered phone calls and emails from all over the world, updating curious children on the location and status of Santa Claus. What started off as a handful of soldiers answering questions in Colorado Springs, Colorado, it has grown to be a... A huge project with a large crew of volunteers that handle roughly 12,000 emails and 100,000 phone calls from children all over the world. So there Very you go. Good. It all started out with a mistake with the Sears ad. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio Heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. We will be back in just a moment. You're listening to us on the uh, Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2, and 104.5 FM. You can watch us do the program, download the Periscope app to your device, follow us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. 
IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University. The idea of the week, Project Connected Home over IT. Now here's the issue. This is a new group that is trying to solve a problem that all of homeowners have. We have all these devices that don't talk to each other. You've got Google Home. You've got Amazon Alexa. You've got the Apple Home devices. You've got the Zigbee Alliance. This is what I've got for the way light, light bulbs in the house. Mm-hmm. So they all operate with different standards. They don't interoperate with each other. So if you buy, if you get one ecosystem, you can't transfer to another one. It just is a pain in the neck. So what they what they've done is they've created an alliance, which they call Project Connected Home over IP, and it was formed with the big three, Apple, Google, and Amazon. And they also added the Zigbee Alliance, which is another wireless standard for home use. And the, the goal is to unify the standard for smart devices. Now, this is a big deal. It's really a big deal for consumers. Uh, because home products come in many flavors are not compatible. You've got Wi-Fi, you've got Z-Wave, you've got Zigbee. You might get, get Bluetooth bulbs. Some require hubs to control them. Some, you know, have voice control. Some work with Alexa. Some work with Google Assistant. Some work with Siri. There's also uh, open standards. like There's also Thread, which is an open standard. There's Open Weave, which is another standard. And all these standards compete with each other. Now, each of them have different features and advantages. Like some of the standards are very low power. So if you've got, if you've got a very small device that, that, that doesn't have a very big battery, you want a low power option. Other ones are have high-speed options like for, um, for cameras. And so this is going to try to connect them all using a standard protocol, Internet protocol, IP. So it's going to be connected home over IP. The acronym is CHIP, C-H-I-P. They want to solve this by having everything connect through, through Internet protocol, the standardized protocol. And, and this, uh, this protocol, uh, IP protocol, has been around, you know, since uh, many, many years. It was, a, it was actually invented in the summer of 1973. It's, you know, it's been around almost uh, 50 years. Mm-hmm. So uh, this, this would be very good. Now, the nice thing is once they standardize on this, Manufacturers will need, will need fewer resources to create smart home devices. They can simply meet the standard. And, and I'll tell you, what this is going to be tremendous. Like, for instance, you notice Bluetooth standardized. On, so now all the devices that connect to Bluetooth, they're just, they're just one Bluetooth standard to connect peripheral devices to your cell phone because they agreed on it. They agreed on a Wi-Fi standard, a wireless networking standard at a home called Wi-Fi. And so now... You get any kind of Wi-Fi devices, it's going to interoperate with all the other Wi-Fi devices. So you don't have to, you don't have to be a technical genius to get it to work. And so now they're finally going to do this to home automation and home projects. So this is the idea of the week, and I'm really glad to see that coming Excellent. along. AI is getting better than humans in catching cancer. This is interesting. Google Health published new research that showed AI can diagnose breast cancer better than radiologists. It's similar to research that, uh, that AI was used to study EKG results. This is heart, heart, heart waves coming out, EKGs. And they could predict death <laughs> based on that. Now, the algorithm has fewer diagnostic errors, and Google suggests this could, this could reduce the need for diagnostic staff. Now, Google used a database of mammogram images called Optimam, Optimam 
which is licensed by Northwestern University. They stress their specific algorithm has been tailored to this particular data set, and it can't be generalizable yet without some additional work. Now, mammogram images are taken by technicians, and then they are reviewed by radiologists, just as x-rays are reviewed or ultrasound images are reviewed. So radiologists look at them. Now, Google Health found that their trained algorithm identified cancer at similar rates as a radiologist, but the data showed that they had an absolute reduction of by 5.7% in false positives and a reduction of 9.4% in false negatives in the U.S. data set. Now, this means the algorithm did a better job at both finding more cancers and correctly identifying cancers. Now, hopefully, this medical system will be combined with human critical thinking and AI-powered analysis to do a better job. So what they're envisioning is that the preliminary analysis will be done by the computer, and then a trained radiologist will review it to see whether it agrees with it. Now, using this method, it will allow the radiologist to look at more slides so you have fewer radiologists and you'll get better You'll get better accuracy. So I think this is the beginning application of AI in medicine that is very, very promising. Okay, U.S. officials are bracing for a major a cyber attack, thinking that Iran is going to retaliate after the um, death of uh, Soleimani. Yep. He was killed by an airstrike in Baghdad. He was the head of the Iran military Islamic Revolutionary Guard. And so Iran has said they're going to make a major statement in response to that. And the best feeling is that it's not necessarily going to be a, um, a military attack. It's going to be a cyber attack. The Iranian cyber attacks have included in the past attacks of universities, of companies. They've attacked industrial control systems and banks. Iranian hackers in the past tried to infiltrate the Trump campaign. They've launched attacks against current and former U.S. government officials and journalists. Uh, the U.S., meanwhile, has employed cyber attacks to attack Iran's nuclear capabilities and computer systems. Cyber attacks may be tempting if they can fight the right American target. You see, um, our defenses are uneven. Maybe our, you know, super, maybe uh, some of our secure government agencies have got great defenses. But if you look at universities and companies and all, it's, it's a variation of, of sophistication. And so the thought is that the Iranians are going to find some targets that are easily attacked and that would have a high payoff. So mm -hmm. they're looking at that. Now, the, the, the geopolitical, Political tension between the U.S. and Iran has ratcheted up since the U.S. withdrew from the nuclear deal in 2018. And we've got a long history of cyber confrontation. Roughly a decade ago, we talked about this, Israel and the U.S. reportedly used a computer room called Stuxnet. And it ruined about a hundred, about a thousand centrifuges in the Iranian nuclear facility. And then starting in 2011, Iran-backed hackers launched a disruptive attack against dozens of financial targets in the U.S., and it cost them tens of millions of dollars. So we've been having a tit-for-tat on cybersecurity, and our Defense Department is gearing up for another a cyber attack eminently. Let's talk about com computer glitches caused by cosmic rays. Okay, you know, as you know, 
our computer chips are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I know this because I hang with you. Yeah, they get this. Yeah, getting sm- and so now it turns out now that they become very sensitive to cosmic rays. So, so you, you so you have high ener- high energy neutrons which are streaming through the atmosphere, and occasionally they'll actually hit something in the chip. They'll, mostly they go through the chip, but occasionally they'll hit something in the chip. And when they do, they could flip a bit. You know, it could you know the bit could be a zero, it could be flipped to one. So you get bit flipping caused by cosmic rays. It doesn't happen often, but it happens often enough. Like sometimes your your computer crashes or your iPhone freezes. It could be cosmic radiation. Mm. So so instead of thinking that you've done something really stupid, blame it on cosmic, on cosmic ra- radiation. radiation. Wow. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. Now, while harmless to living organisms, a small number of these particles have enough energy to interfere with the operations of microelectronic circuitry. Now, the consequences can be trivial, just as altering a single pixel in a paragraph, or as serious as bringing down a passenger jet. For instance, uh, let me give you a couple of examples where they have they think they see evidence of a bit flip. This is called a single event upset. In SEU. It was blamed for an electronic voting machine error in Belgium back in 2003. A flipped bit in the electronics voting machine added an extra 4,000 votes to the candidate. Actually, wow. it was, was 4,096. So you can tell that's, that is an even multiple of, of two to the n power. And so it turns out they just flipped one bit and they added 4,096 votes to one candidate. And you knew that just by looking at that number, right? Yeah, yeah. You did. Back off, man. I'm a scientist. (laughs) So so the thing is, the reason they noticed this error is that 4,096 votes is actually more than the total population of the town. So they knew something was wrong. Something was not right, yes. Now, in October 7th of 2008, an Airbus... A330, operated by Qantas Air, was en route route from Perth to Singapore. At 37,000 feet, one of the plane's three data initial reference units had a failure, causing incorrect data to be sent to the plane's flight control system. This caused the plane to suddenly severely pitch down, throwing unrestrained occupants into the plane's ceiling. I saw a picture of it. The the tile in the ceiling was broken. Because people hit the ceiling so hard. Yes, Hmm. it was like, you know, the... All potential causes were found to be unlikely or very unlikely, except for the cosmic ray bit flip. Now, Cisco was researching cosmic radiation since 2001 and briefly cited cosmic rays as a possible explanation for data losses in their ASR 9000 routers. So as we get smaller and smaller chips and become more and more sensitive to cosmic radiation, this is going to become a big problem. Now, what they're doing in navigation systems to make them safety they basically have redundant systems. They'll, they might have three redundant systems, and they vote. To, if, if one of them has a, has a bad answer, they, two have to agree. So as long as they've got redundancy of three and they do a vote, and as long as two agree, that's, majority what, that's wins. what the majority wins. And it's, it's highly unlikely that you would get a bit flip in more than one device at the same time. So, they, so in mission-critical systems, they're having to do this, and this is be, going to become a bigger and bigger problem. Now, think about this. This also indicates that we're very susceptible to electromagnetic pulses. And so now it could be possible in war, times of war 
to come in and um, set up an EMP bomb that sets out this imp- sets out a huge electromagnetic pulse and it just blows out all the chips. Yep, they're so sensitive. So as we become more and more dependent on electronics, things like this become a bigger and bigger problem. This is the kind of stuff I listen to Tech Talk Radio for. Yes, there you go. There so you there go. go. So bit flip. There you go. A cosmic bit flip. Cosmic but, bit flip. But the nice thing is. Now, anything that goes wrong in your computer, you just say, blame it on the cosmic. It was a you cosmic bit flip. <laughs> if something seizes up at work, I'm going to find the engineer and say, you know what? I think I suffered a cosmic bit flip in the uh, studio. That's, that's right. And we'll see how they look yeah, at me. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how they go, go, go on with that. Well, let's, since voting is coming up, we'll talk a little bit about voting. Yeah. Hackable wireless voting machines. Somehow, we are just hooked on these things. And so what, what is happening, after the Russian hackers made an extensive effort to infiltrate American voting apparatus in 2016, some states moved to restrict Internet access to their voting machines. Well, that was smart. You keep them off the web, then the, then the Russians can't hack them. Now, there was no evidence that they actually changed any votes. Now, Colorado got rid of barcodes used to electronically read ballots. California tightened its rules on electronic voting machines that go online. Ohio bought new voting machines and deliberately made them so that they could not go wireless. On I think the, Maryland has, has gotten out of the, uh, the electronic voting business for yeah. now. On the other hand, Michigan went a different direction. They authorized spending $82 million for machines that are strictly connected with wireless modems to the Internet. Colorado? No, Michigan. 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 Okay. And the state officials said, well, yeah, because we want to get, you know, we want to get up to the date, minute-by-minute voting results so that people can keep up with what's going on. Uh, but those machines are vulnerable. The problem, the problem is connecting election machines to the public Internet, especially wirelessly, leaves the whole system vulnerable. Now, Michigan's new Secretary of State's considering using some of the state's $10 million in federal funds to rip out these modems before the March presidential election. It's not March. Oh, oh, oh that's the, those are the, the primaries. Those are the yeah. primaries, yeah. Now, Michigan says his votes are safe from hackers since the election system only connects to the Internet only after the votes are counted. But cybersecurity experts differ. They say, look, they can change the, the vote count. The vote's done. They'll just change the vote count. Mm-hmm. Now, some officials look, re, c- remain committed to wireless thing, and 11 states are using wireless voting machines in this next election. So that's a problem. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. And... Uh, Go to the Stratford University website, www.stratford.edu. Check out our programs, uh, you know, computer, cybersecurity, networks, networking, programming, uh, software engineering, culinary arts, hospitality, business, accounting, healthcare, nursing, and tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.